Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday to all of you out there listening today. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. We are Mitch and Steve. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. I'll be Steve today. Trevor Henry behind the glass. He'll, I think you'll be Trevor today, right? Trevor, is that a fact? Yeah, unfortunately, I'll be Trevor. All right, cool. <laughs> Just check. I don't know why he said unfortunately. Maybe because he's stuck with us for we the love next you, couple Trev. of hours. We're here in the Auction Community Studio here for the next two hours, as I said. Till one o'clock today. A lot of stuff to talk about. News that actually just came down today, Steve, uh, regarding the Arizona Cardinals. And rather a move that I, quite frankly, I didn't expect to happen this quickly. But the Cardinals have a new GM and they have today a new assistant GM. Yeah, these things happen when you and I do shows together, apparently. Because apparently, uh, yeah. Monday, MLK Day, we were in uh, filling in for some of the guys in the afternoon. And that's when we got the Monty Austin Fort news. That the Arizona Cardinals were hiring their new GM, and today it's an assistant GM. And honestly, I think there's a few things that we can draw from it. A few things. Um, mostly we can tell you what his name is. Uh, his name is Dave Sears. He is previously the Lions, or he was previously in the Lions organization. I'm just pulling up our story on ArizonaSports.com right now. He was the Lions Director of College Scouting. And he will now be in the new assistant GM under Monty Austinfort. It also makes a note in here that he and Sears, Austinfort and Sears, worked together in Houston for three years. That was where Austinfort first worked in the NFL before he worked in New England for 15 years. So I'll draw a couple of early conclusions. Now, much like Monty Austinfort, when he got hired on Monday, we both came on the air and we were like, listen, not going to lie to you, don't know a lot about this guy. It's hard to know a lot about player personnel executives across the league when you're not heavily involved. They're not as trans, uh, they're not as out there as a coach might be, or as a player certainly is. Um, so I'm not going to lie to you. Don't know a lot about Sears, but what we do know, we can draw a couple of conclusions. So you mentioned the three years they spent together in the scouting department in Houston. Uh, I would assume that that means that there's a little bit of a connection between them and D'Amico Ryans, a player for the Houston Texans. A while back. Mm-hmm. So there's a connection if you want to draw one. Yes. Uh, also, coming from the Lions, which, by the way, I really like their drafts the last couple of years. A couple of real uh, diamonds in the rough, if you will. Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round. Uh, there's a couple of other really good hits from the last draft class that I liked. So if you were looking for a guy who just does really good college scouting, then I think you might have found your guy. And here's another tie. We found out this week that the Cardinals uh, were interviewing Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator from the Detroit Lions. That's so if you want another tie, place today. So if you want another tie, there it is. Does that signify who the new head coach is going to be? I don't think so. But uh, it, well, is, uh, it is fun to draw these comparisons because now we essentially have three names that appear to be, let's call it betting favorites. Let's let's pretend our friends at FanDuel are putting something together and they're like, all right, who's the next Cardinals head coach going to be? And we're drawing these conclusions that a guy that worked for 15 years in one organization that happened to work at the same time as Brian Flores did when he was in New England, or if you think all the way back to the early aughts in Houston, granted, I believe it was a little before D'Amico Ryans arrived. I think it was they left as he arrived. Now, maybe Dave Sears was around for D'Amico Ryans, was a big part of scouting D'Amico They're more than likely familiar with him. 
I would have to assume so. Yeah. And I mean, given D'Amico Ryan's playing days coincided with Monty Austin Ford's role in New England, I'm sure they've paid close attention to him. And then, of course, just coming straight from the Lions organization and finding Aaron Glenn. I would imagine those three and little, little, little inklings of Sean Payton might be at the top of those odds makers lists. I know we've talked the last couple of shows about how it feels more than just a rumor with Sean Payton. But the further we get into the process, and I'm still not aware, is there even a date set for an interview for Sean Payton? I don't think that there is. Um, because last week we went on the air and the big story on Monday was that Sean Payton went on the herd with Colin Coward and listed off the teams he was interviewing with and the Cardinals wasn't on that list. And we were trying to figure out, is it because Colin cut him off? Is it because he forgot? Is it because they haven't set a date yet? And the further we get into this process, the more it feels like they just haven't set a date yet. They've received permission to interview Payton. Correct. The further we get into the process, too, the more I start to think, the cost that reportedly the Saints are interested in is astronomical. I mean, we've talked a lot about examples throughout the NFL's history of coaches that got traded, right? And John Gruden is sort of the biggest package. I think it was two ones, two twos. Most other coaches get traded for like a one or a two. I think there was a report out there even, or it wasn't, a, it was something that I saw that reportedly hinted at Mickey Loomis, the uh, Saints GM, Wants kind of that Gruden style of return, of which would, which feels like a lot. But then you remember, oh yeah, he did win a Super Bowl prior to leaving. He yeah, hasn't had a ton of losing years seasons. ago. I don't know. He if won he, a Super Bowl thirteen. I'm not I mean, saying look, if you want to look, if you want to look back that far. Well, if you want bad, if you want to look back that far, don't forget Bounty Gate. Yeah, Sean Payton was just as much a part of covering up Bounty Gate as he was in helping produce a Super Bowl win. I think it's different too, where. John Gruden was in the in the prime of his coaching career at that point. And correct me if I'm wrong, but right after the trade, he went out and won the Super Bowl. Literally that season. Against the team that traded him away. Literally that season. Um, so that worked out. I don't think anybody's complaining too much about that price that they paid. But we talked about the comparisons. I think it's closest to the Mike Holmgren trade. Mike Holmgren had won a Super Bowl recently when he got traded to Seattle. Sean Payton, it's been almost 15 years since he won the Super Bowl. But like we talked about, and it's a lot not like of that, he went back to the Super Bowl after that. A lot of that came with some bad luck along the way or some unfortunate occurrences. But, you know, some stuff you can control, some stuff you can't. But part of that we have to accept. But at the same time, are we, are we going to be this nitpicky? We're talking about an organization that has only been to the big game once and lost. Well, here's the other thing, too, though. Is Sean Payton really going to want to take over a team and an organization that just emptied the treasure chest for him? You know what I mean? Like, because you, well, you don't what, have to be the head coach of that team that traded away two firsts and two seconds. It depends what assets you have left. You don't have draft assets, but you certainly have a quarterback that you're tied to for several seasons. You've got a bunch of great, well, I think I'm overemphasizing how great some of these rookies have been, but a lot of guys that are on cheaper contracts. You do have a lot of work to do this offseason in trying to bring back a Zach Allen or a Byron Murphy or figuring out whether or not you want to hold on to Hollywood Brown for beyond this year, or are you going to move off of DeAndre Hopkins? Are you not going to move off of DeAndre Hopkins? The more I think about it, the more I wonder if Sean Payton even wants this job anymore, looking at what else is out there. I'm also trying to draw conclusions based on the candidates that we know of for the Cardinals, right? Because there are a lot of defensive-minded candidates 
up for this job. We talked about Aaron Glenn from Detroit. I don't know that I look at Detroit's defense and see a great defense, so I'm not sure he's the right fit for me in my mind. Uh, D'Amico Ryans, two really good defenses in his two years as defensive coordinator within the division. Mm-hmm. And from all intent, uh, from everything we hear, he is the guy that everyone wants to run through a brick wall for. He's a leader of men. Uh, we hear about Dan Quinn is now the new candidate that's arising that, that they're going to interview today. this week, yeah. hopefully. Uh, so a lot of defensive-minded guys, Vance Joseph in-house, Brian Flores in Pittsburgh. These guys are all getting interviews with the Cardinals, despite the fact that we can all acknowledge there needs to be an offensive mind brought in to help Kyler as well. So what does that tell you? I mean, depending on what you're looking for, depending on what Michael Bidwell is looking for, there might be a different candidate for each thing. If you're looking for a hard-nosed guy who's going to come in and do strict discipline, maybe it's Brian Flores. If you're looking for an offensive guy who's not going to cost you as much as Sean Payton, maybe it's Frank Reich. If you're looking for a defensive guy with head coaching experience, maybe it's Vance Joseph or Brian Flores or Dan Quinn. I mean, I think there's a common thread that we can draw here. We can try to draw it in pencil and then see if we can do it over in pen or Sharpie or whatever. (laughs) Okay. So let's draw it in pencil first. All of these candidates that have been requested to be interviewed by the Cardinals or have already interviewed by the Cardinals either do a really good job with the position that they were tasked with doing the prior season or they're really good leaders of men. One name that we haven't talked about that's on the flip side of the defense is Frank Reich, the former head coach of the Colts. Yep. That dude... In the in the words of a Indianapolis reporter who was on this station earlier this week, he's not a he's not a screamer, he's not a yeller, he's not a get in your face kind of coach, but he in some senses is understood to be a quarterback whisperer. He understands how to lead a group of individuals. Frank Reich might be the secret option that we're just kind of overlooking because we're distracted by how many coaches that are being brought in for an interview have defensive ties. Yeah. You could also look at it as maybe the Cardinals understand that doing this back-and-forth affair of, well, we have Bruce Arians, he's an offensive guy, we're now bringing Steve Wilkes, he's a defensive guy, maybe he'll boost our defense. Kind of didn't work on either side, being a head coach or defense. So we got to flip to offense, because we've got to make our offense better, because our offense was horrible last year. Now, here we are four years later, the offense is the one that's struggling, defense has been okay But now I think they're just kind of looking for the right head coach. They're not looking for either offense or defense. That's how I read it. Yeah, and I mean, you look at, it's hard because you look at the coaches that remain in the playoffs right now, and it leans heavily offensive-minded coaches. And I think that's part of the reason Cliff Kingsbury was hired so quickly in Arizona, and so surprisingly at the time. Because you looked around the division, you see Kyle Shanahan coming in with his offensive uh, scheme. You see Sean McVay and what he was accomplishing, Matt LaFleur on his way to work with uh, the Packers. I think that that was the attractive coaching hire for a few years was going offensive. And maybe it still is. If you look around the league during the playoffs, I think that that's still the predominant head coach out there that's successful. Um, doesn't mean that that's the only way you can win. I'm most intrigued by two candidates right now. Frank Reich that you mentioned because he's got head coaching experience already. And I think that's something that they are valuing a lot. I mean, like we mentioned, Dan Quinn's former head coach, Vance Joseph, former head coach, Brian Flores, Frank Reich. These are all guys who have head coaching experience. And you just hired a brand new GM, a first-time GM. Mm -hmm. So are you more or less likely to hire a first-time head coach as well? Probably a little less? I'm just guessing, based on the candidates they've brought in-house. But the most intriguing candidate to me, the one that I'm just... If he doesn't get the job, I'm going to be like, oh, I wish we could find out what it would have been like is D'Amico Ryans. 
because he's shot up the coaching ladder so quickly. And he got J.J. Watt's endorsement on Twitter. Did you see I that? I did see that yesterday. Where he tweeted basically something to the effect of, when I went to Houston, I moved in across the street from Tomiko Ryans because I knew if this neighborhood Tomiko was good enough for Tomiko, yeah. it's good enough for J.J. And that's... Everybody is giving D'Amico Ryans their endorsement right now. There's a great story that ESPN's Nick Wagoner did just on the inside rise of Ryans. It was a really good read if you get the chance. But what they hinted at and what I what stuck out to me was just kind of like the parallels. Because apparently Bill Davis, who is the Cardinals linebackers coach, used to be the D.C. in Philly when D'Amico Ryans went to Philly after all those years in Houston. And then the Eagles drafted what was eventually going to be Ryans' replacement, Jordan Hicks. Mm-hmm. And then they pointed out how later on in Jordan Hicks's career when he was in Arizona, the Cardinals drafted his replacement, Saban Collins, and Hicks took on what Ryan's brought to him in that sort of leadership role. More so fascinating is just how quickly Ryan's shot up the coaching ranks within one organization. He's only been there for like, what is it, four years? He's only been the D.C. for two years. He was a quality control coach. And then became the D.C. as soon as Robert Sala left. And that defense is almost better than what it was under Robert Sala. Two straight years of top 10 defenses. And if you want to talk top 10, I mean, we're talking like top of the league. By the way, Vance Joseph, who has a lot of respect in the building already, and if that's what you're looking for, Mike Bidwell, then Vance Joseph might be your guy. Vance Joseph has never had a top 10 scoring defense in any of his jobs. Something to think about. Coming up next, we'll turn attention to the Phoenix Suns because they're Back in the win column. Does that mean they're going to be back in the win column a lot more? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You're going to want to catch the end of the show today. Coming up at uh, 1245. Yesterday, I got the greatest Super Bowl week guest pitch email that I've ever received. And I have no clue who the guest is. If it makes you feel better, I have no idea what he's talking about. Quite I'm going to tell you, coming up at 1245, at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you, it's the greatest Super Bowl week guest pitch I've ever gotten, and I have no idea who the guest is. As nosy as I am, I can't wait. I know. I'm telling you, it's not only is it great, it's hilarious. And I'll tell you that story coming up at the end of the show. Hey, it's nice to have Cam Johnson back. Oh, my God. It's great to have Cam Johnson back. And Cam Johnson said he feels good to be back, too. I feel really good. I feel very, like I told everybody, I feel normal, probably better than normal now. Um, but I don't think about, you know, my knee. I don't think about planting on it, twisting on it. I do anything out there. It feels good. Um, so that's, you know, it's a, a blessing. Um, and, and, you know, I'm just ready to go back and hoop. We've talked about this for a long time now, for weeks, if not months is that while the Suns were on a slide for quite some time over the last couple of weeks, that eventually they would start to get some of their guys back. They would start to trickle back. Now, tonight, we've already heard from uh, our Suns insider, Kellen Olsen, tweeted out that uh, Chris Paul's going to be out tonight, and DeAndre Ayton is dealing with a non-COVID illness. But so. just the fact that Paul is getting listed as questionable has to be a sign of him returning, Not obviously not tonight, probably not tomorrow, maybe Tuesday? Against Charlotte? Who knows? The trick is getting all of these guys back at the same time. Yes. They're starting to trickle back, but it's having them all back at the same time that's really going to kick this team back into gear. We've been seeing footage of Cam Johnson practicing and shooting for at least a week now, 
and it's finally coming back to fruition. He's finally back out on the court, and the Suns are starting to see some production because of it. It helps. Is it enough? I don't know. I think when I was talking about it with um, Dave Burns, who I get to work with five days out of the week, when I was talking with him about this on Thursday, there's two things that's missing from the Suns right now. Number one was shooting, and Cam Johnson certainly provides a big boost to that. He's had a couple shooter. of threes. He didn't he didn't like lead the team in scoring or anything, but he had a couple of threes. He helped keep the offense in rhythm. He helped out a lot. But the other main thing that's missing right now is ball handling. And the only one who's a real true ball handler right now for the Suns, kind of coincidentally coincidentally, ironically, I don't know. My mom will tell me. Saban Lee. The guy who, by the way, was just signed to his second ten day contract with the Suns today. But he's the only true ball handler on this team right now. That doesn't set them up well in terms of trying to fully get back to it. But the shooting helps because the shooting was dire in an offensive stretch that didn't even see them produce 100 points for, what was it, like four or five straight games? It was kind of dire. They needed that. You mentioned Saban Lee. We found out today that he's going to get another second uh, 10-day contract. Which I think is probably the right decision, especially with the makeup of the roster as it currently stands. I mean, you're not going to let that guy go when no. he's your only ball handler for the most part. It's been a spark plug the past two games as well. They relied on Dwayne Washington Jr. for a while with some of that ball handling. Uh, Chris Paul will play here and there. Um, hopefully, eventually, you get campaign back. Uh, that's going to be another big addition back to the team. But, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a five-point win over the Nets the other night. That's a big thing. For this team, because the Nets, I mean, I did not see this coming with all the turmoil they went through in the offseason. I didn't see the Nets being as good as they are in the East, but the Suns land one win against them. It's kind of like a couple weeks ago when we saw them beat the Grizzlies. Well, so it's funny. It didn't make any sense. Uh, of course it didn't, but it's funny because this was the game. If you think back to the summer, this was the game that everybody circled on the calendar like uh, the Durant game. I wonder what the Nets and Suns will look like following January 15th, right? Well, as it turns out, the Suns kind of looked like what the Nets we thought were going to look like, and the Nets looked like what we thought the Suns were going to look like. They didn't have Durant, but they still had a Kyrie Irving that scored 21 points in the final quarter. Like they didn't fully, they didn't fully secure that one. They held on, but they didn't fully secure that one. So while it's nice to be back in the win column, you got to do it again. And I'm looking at the rest of this month, Steve. Indiana today, yeah. Memphis tomorrow, Charlotte Tuesday. Dallas Thursday. That's all at home. Feels like they play Memphis all the time. I know, right? What's up with that? San Antonio on the road on Saturday, and then Toronto on the 30th, a Monday, on the day before the last day of the month. So six games. Given the parity in the Western Conference right now, if you can go above, if you could go 500 in those six games, you might find yourself back within that top 10, maybe even the top eight. I mean, the Suns currently sit in 10th in the West at 22 and 24. They're only... Well, how far behind? Right? Uh, well, they're 11 games out of first place, but they are one game out of sixth place. Exactly. You see what I mean? So, like, the, the parity that you're talking about is basically from, like, the 5 seed through the 13 seed. They're all very, very close. It's not like the Eastern Conference where there's three like really good teams and there's they're going to run away with it. And then that's it. Yeah. The West has two teams that are ahead of everybody else, but they haven't guaranteed that separation. And the yet. Grizzlies happen to be one of them, by the way. So back to my point about the beating Brooklyn and beating Memphis, because those are two of your last three wins. The other one was Golden State, which is a decent win, not the best that one. That was the shocking win. Um, 
What does it say about the Suns that some of their wins are coming against the best teams in the NBA? To me, it says they haven't quit. They're up for the challenge. Um, it says that some of these guys are stepping into new roles. Now, granted, they're losing pretty much every other game that we haven't missed. I mean, they lost to some other good teams in that stretch. There was the uh, Mikel Bridges last second shot that didn't go in against Cleveland. There was Cleveland again here in Arizona on the road against Denver. They didn't do well against Minnesota on the road. Um, They've lost to some bad teams. They the lost Memphis to the Wizards on the road twice. On MLK Day. Like, the Knicks. There's some bad losses in there. They got yeah. swept by the Wizards this year, Steve. I know. I know. The Wizards! Also worth noting, uh, new slash maybe almost new owner, Matt Ishbia, was in the building for the Nets win. The first game that he attended as kind of new owner. So, we're not really sure where we're at in the process So there. it's not official. To your point, we don't know where we're at in the process. I think the governor, the, the league governors are still vetting him because... Look, if you're trying to move on from a problematic owner, don't you want to make sure that the new guy coming in isn't also problematic? Totally. Kind of want to avoid that. But it's starting to feel real, right? I don't think he would have shown up to that game Thursday if he didn't think that he was going to fully acquire this team. I think I felt a little better, too, after Brian Windhorst was on the station this week talking about how he thinks he feels very confident that it's going to move quickly so that the Jay Crowder situation can be figured out. Well, there was a report he wants the team before the deadline. He so should he want the team before the trade. deadline. Yeah. If you want to get things figured out and solidified, because what would really stink, I would think, if you were Matt Ishbia, is if you got control of the team after the deadline, you weren't really able to make some of those important decisions like Jay Crowder, or if you wanted to go after an all-star caliber player somehow, which is, I guess, a possibility, if you didn't have full control over that, and the future of the team is impacted. Now, James Jones is really who's making these calls, right? Sure. He needs approval from ownership in financial situations. Correct. So you trust in James Jones. It's not like Matt Ishbia needs to be in control of everything. I mean, how often did we talk about Robert Sarver was too involved and he was... Uh, yeah, it's like what? Now we're asking hovering. for him to be super involved again? Wait right. a minute. Wait no. a minute. <laughs> no, we don't want the owner to be <laughs> making the trades, coaching the players. You nope. know, We don't want that. Nope, 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 nope. But if you're Matt Ishbia, you do want control before the deadline so that you can help your management. You can help James Jones in the front office figure out the direction and to help approve the financials before you make those deals. I think everybody's a little down right now just because of the state of the recent stretch this Awful December into what has started as a just as awful January, but maybe Cam Johnson returning, Matt Ishbia going to his first Suns game. Pretty soon they'll have Chris Paul back. Pretty soon they'll have campaign back. Maybe even pretty soon by the end of this month, they'll have Devin Booker back. Things might start turning up for the Suns. Feel the better, Sun DA. Will, the Sun will get back to the, the highest point. I hope DA feels better. He's got a non-COVID illness. Questionable tonight. We'll see. We'll see. If, we'll see if he plays. Coming up next, it's been rumored that the Arizona Cardinals want to trade DeAndre Hopkins this offseason. So then why did they tweet out a hype video for him yesterday? Well, we've got our theories, and we'll give them to you next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us, Mitch and Steve, on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Farrell, the Steve Zinsmeister. Check us out on Twitter. We have that, too. At Swingin' a Mitch. That's me. 
And then Steve is at Steve underscore Zins, who I that found is out, correct. I found out on Monday he didn't even know his own handle. No, it's like looking in the mirror. I choose not to do it. <laughs> Are you sure? I well, I mean, why would you not look in the mirror? I don't. I you know. I'm not obsessed with myself. Oh my god! I don't tweet at myself ever, so okay. I ne- I didn't really know my Twitter handle. Yes, but that you well. still have to make the account. At I some made point, it right? like in 2008. I've been on Twitter a long time. Well, so Twitter actually leads into our discussion here because do you know the expression of Friday news dump, Steve? Yeah, I've heard of that. It's when you uh, break news on basically as close to the weekend as possible, so people forget about it by Monday. You try to bury it, yeah. essentially. So it's seven East Coast, five. Or five uh, mountain, four Pacific. That's kind of the range, right? That's the the dump zone. So something got posted from the Arizona Cardinals Twitter account at around that time yesterday. It wasn't news. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, we're just going to throw this out there because we don't want people to remember it on Monday when the weekend turns. It was a video. Just some highlights. Some big, grabby, graphic-y words that popped up onto a screen of DeAndre Hopkins. And I think a lot of our first thoughts were, why? <laughs> what? <laughs> we we went through the five stages of the, the, what is it, the W's? We went through the five W's and how, basically. Well, what's so weird about it, there's another W for you, is <laughs> the fact that there was a report, gosh, maybe you can help me out. I don't remember who reported it, but there was a report a while back that Jordan Michael Schultz, Bidwell. Yeah. Jordan Schultz reported that Michael Bidwell had been telling prospective GM candidates that one of the objectives this offseason is to trade DeAndre Hopkins. Now, I don't think anybody forgot how good DeAndre Hopkins is. He's not only the best receiver on the team, but maybe still one of the best in the league. But it's the dollar value, right? It's the The $30 million cap hit. It's the $22 million dead cap if you trade him. It's the second consecutive year where he's missed games, not just because of the suspension, but also because of injury. Yeah. So a lot. I get it. I would understand why that could be on the table for the Cardinals this offseason. By the way, there's no guarantee they do end up trading him. No. But then you see this tweet, which by... All by, accounts is really just kind of uh, harmless. By itself, it's just wrong like, with it. oh, look at DeAndre Hopkins. Look at all the cool stuff he did this season. Hey, wow. So there's there's two ways that I'm hearing a lot of that you can look at this. Number one, seems like the most obvious. Are the Cardinals trying to promote DeAndre Hopkins? Get his footage out there to increase the trade value. There's two one-handed catches in that video. As if... Way. NFL GMs forgot that DeAndre Hopkins is good at football. As if NFL GMs are on Twitter watching highlight videos from other teams uh, and that they're going, oh man, maybe we should give up a first round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. Right. So listen, I don't think that's the answer. By the way, the video is labeled one of one with a little like devil emoji. Yeah, like the first thing you see, it just says one of one. One of one, for those of you who maybe don't know, it's basically one of a kind or it's a something that uh, got popular on sports cards yes. where you get like it, if it, the card is numbered like one out of 500, that means there's only 500 made. You got the first one that was made. That's very valuable. Exactly. One of one means there's no other card like it. So what they're saying is there's no other receiver out there like DeAndre Hopkins. You're not going to find one. This is the only one. So I get what people are saying. Maybe they are trying to increase his trade value before they move him. I think more than likely it's just, hey, we're in the offseason now. We don't want people to forget about the Cardinals, and here's a video. 
And we don't want people to forget that we're a football team that's not playing in any games this weekend, too. Monty Ossenfort's introductory presser was on Tuesday. Yeah. You, you and I were on the air Monday when the news broke. They introduced him Tuesday. He was obviously asked about the report that DeAndre Hopkins, how do you evaluate his future? Owner Michael Bidwell cut him off and said this. We talked about a number of things, but those are some of the things that he's going to he's going to be evaluating. And so, the, the, he's as he said, he's only been in the building a few hours. He's he's uh, doesn't even know his way around. So I think he'll, he'll be working on that in the in the coming weeks. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that more. See, it's funny to me the defense that Bidwell goes to is he doesn't even know his way around the building, which I believe. Yeah, but. Also, you made sure to hire a GM so that you could then hire a head coach. And it was also reported that they interviewed a head coaching candidate on Tuesday, Frank Reich. So it sounds like Monty Ossenfort already knows what he's supposed to be doing. I'm just saying. If, yeah, it, mean, I, if it means trading DeAndre Hopkins so you could get capital to send it away in a Sean Payton trade, so be it. Well, I didn't. Saying. I watched the press conference on Tuesday. I didn't find it weird. You said that Bidwell cut him off. If I remember right, the question was directed towards either of them, and Michael took the question because the question okay. is really more for Michael than awesome for it. Because, like you said, the guy had only been in the building for like ten hours, or in town for ten hours, maybe in the building for much less. Okay, my interpretation was that it was directed towards Monty. Okay, and then Bidwell took it. But if you say it that way, then maybe maybe that's the miscommunication. And well, all and the story still, was about Michael. It's still very a unique answer because the story. Remember, the story came out before they hired a GM. Right. So the the theory was, or or the uh, the concept was that he was telling GM candidates, "This is what I want you to do when you come in." Or at least discussing the possibility of moving a key player like DeAndre Hopkins. So the fact that Michael took the question didn't surprise me at all. If you're Monty in that situation, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, yep, we're trading him. Well, he gone. I mean, you can just use the, ba- <laughs> like, you can just use the base answer. Just like, oh, we think DeAndre's a great player, blah, 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 top receiver. In this thing. You know, just kind of BS your way through it yeah. until somebody no longer notices. I think Michael needed to take that question, too, because the story was about him confronting GM candidates about that player in particular. Right. So Michael needed to answer that question. Now, was he as completely transparent about it as he could have been? Probably not. But again, what was he going to say? Uh, yeah, we're definitely trading DeAndre Hopkins. Like, he wasn't going to say that. So I was okay with the way it was handled. Unless you did say it. Unless you just go out there straight up and like, yes, I can confirm those reports and that's exactly what we're planning on doing. DeAndre's unhappy here and we're going to move on. I don't know that he is unhappy here. I don't know that. It could be true. Well, even he's putting out, you know, mysterious messages about like forever grateful with a Cardinals uni and doing like the prayers up emoji or whatever it was. Maybe he's just grateful. Is that out of the realm of possibility? Maybe. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not are, trying to read too much into it. I don't know. Are, are extremely talented athletes just eternally grateful? A lot I, of them seem to be. <laughs> not, not all of them. I can tell you that much. I don't know, man. I, I, I know we're trying to read between the lines. We're trying to read the tea leaves, so to speak, here. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see DeAndre Hopkins move. And again, it has nothing to do with the player. The whole league knows oh, how good he is. It has absolutely nothing to do with There's the type of player he is. no way that the Cardinals tweeted out this hype video for Hopkins to remind everybody how good he is. There's no way Monty Awesomefort went to the social media team and said, hey guys, I need you to put out a video of DeAndre Hopkins because I got to <laughs> remind Bill Belichick how good DeAndre Hopkins is. <laughs> that would be such a great like. You SNL know what I mean? That's like, not how the league works. That'd be funny if it did happen that way. 
So that's one item potentially on Monty Austin Ford's to do list. The other, of course, being find a head coach. Yeah, but big what, one. <laughs> what else is on that to do list for Monty Austin Ford? I think you and I are immediately drawn to, well, he's got a draft in a couple of months and he's got a pretty valuable pick. Is he going to be picking there? Is he going to be trying to move out of three and acquire more assets? He he kind of brought it up. The The one thing that stood out to everybody was that he said, I never want to pick number three again. Yeah, they all say that. They Mike Hazen that. said that when they had the top pick in the draft or whatever. Yeah, but you're grateful that you have that top pick. Now, at the same time, what is realistic? Do you stay there and just grab your next generational edge rusher or defensive talent in either defensive lineman Jalen Carter from Georgia? If he's there. Or the edge rusher Will Anderson from Alabama? If he's there. <laughs> I mean, they both could be gone, well, I, I mean, guess, look, technically. The, the only team that you're kind of worried about deciding that fate for you is the team picking number one in the Chicago Bears. Right. And then you wonder, what are they going to do? They don't necessarily need a quarterback. They might shock the world like the Cardinals did not too long ago. But they're not in a position to take one of these quarterbacks. There's plenty of teams behind them that would be more than happy to make sure that they get the quarterback they want ahead of Houston at number two. What Cardinals you, are in an interesting spot. What you don't want to do is go into the draft assuming you're getting either Carter or Anderson. And then you find out that Chicago's taking one of them at one, and somebody else is moving up to two to get one of them. Now, we all assume Houston's going to take a quarterback at two. Or or even move up to number one and take a quarterback of their choosing. Now, I, I don't know. That, what you just said, might be the plot twist of the entire draft. I'm just saying is it's possible. Is if a team moves ahead of the Cardinals to take the defensive player... Thus devaluing the quarterback market. And that's if you only see those two players as the elite of the elite top three talents. Like most teams or most uh, mock drafts right now are looking at it like this. There's two elite defensive players and then there's two, maybe three quarterbacks that work their way in the top five. And well, let's be fair. When a lot of these experts put out their big boards, who's the first player that's typically on the board position wise? It's not a quarterback. On the big board? Oh, on the big board? It's not a quarterback. Left tackle? It's usually who's the best lineman or who's the yeah. best defensive edge. Edge rusher, like, yeah. They don't put quarterbacks number one on the big board. Usually quarterbacks aren't the most talented draft prospects. They're just the most popular. Chicago is very interesting in all of this because they have Justin Fields, who played very, very well, albeit he played in a weird style of offense. I heard some people talking on the radio the other day. I won't name who because they were wrong. Uh, talking about <laughs> Justin Fields and like, oh, man, they he's so beat up already from all that running he did in college. Go back and watch Ohio State and Justin Fields. He didn't run at all. He wasn't running. He didn't run at all. I think you might be thinking of Braxton Miller. He might have been holding on to the ball for less Even than Cardale Jones ran more at Ohio State than Justin Fields did. He was a pocket guy. And a darn good one, too. So what Chicago is doing, to me, doesn't feel sustainable. Like the style that they're... They're basically just running him to death. Well, I don't know. They like seem Lamar. To, they seem to make it work. Oh, it's been working. Don't get me wrong. He's been good at it. But here's the difference between him and Lamar, too. Lamar is is skinny. Fields is stocky. So that there's, dude is built. There's an alternative path, let's call it, where the Bears could decide, we don't want to go this route with Justin Fields anymore, Maybe we move Justin Fields and draft our guy at number one if they love Bryce Young or what's the other guy? Uh, Will, CJ Stroud. Will uh, Levis. Will Levis. Maybe you go that route if you're Chicago and shock the world and go get a bunch of picks for Justin Fields for a team that needs a quarterback like, I don't know, the Raiders or maybe Tom Brady leaves the Bucks and they need a quarterback. 
Like, there's a lot that could happen in that top two that changes the Cardinals' perspective. And if you're operating under the, well, we'll just get Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, whoever's there at three. If they're not there at three, you cannot be forced into trading down for a package that's lesser than what you should. You see what I mean? Yeah. You have to have a plan going in. And I believe that Monty Austin Fort will. There's something else that I think should be high on Austin Fort's to-do list. I'll tell you what it is later because we got to move on. But it's it kind of snuck under the radar okay. on me personally. So I'm curious how you react to it. But coming up next, we've got four NFL games this weekend. And it starts today. We'll go around them all next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve go around the NFL on Arizona Sports Saturday. Of course, as the weeks go on with around the NFL, there's a few, there's fewer and fewer games to talk about as a result. So. This isn't called like Super Round Two Weekend, no. is it? Remember last week we had there's, Super Wild Card Weekend, Super Bassomatic Seventy Wild Card Weekend. Um, no, this is just four games in the divisional round, like okay. it, like in the old wit, like in the old style of the playoffs. Right, we're only two years into this new seven teams make the playoffs. Only one team gets a bye, whereas before it was six teams. You got two teams with bye. Now this is where we're at. We have eight teams, four in each conference. Obviously, no more buys. Two games today, two games tomorrow, and with the extra time. It allows us to go in a little deeper into each matchup. So starting today at 2.30 is the first of the AFC games. The Jaguars, who are playing on their third straight Saturday, it's kind of weird to think about, against the number one seed Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. It's weird to see the Jaguars in the second round. It's cool. I like it. Uh, but I think this is probably where their roller coaster of a season ends. I think that the Chiefs coming off of a bye week, being 7-1 and one at home this season, having this home field advantage at Arrowhead, I don't think there's any way they lose to the Jags. But that doesn't mean that this can't be a good game and that the Jaguars can't put up a good score. I heard Dan Bickley make a prediction, I think it was him this week, in saying uh, that they would probably score a lot of points early and the Chiefs would probably still win this thing. I'm in the same boat. The Jaguars, by the way, Four and five on the road. They're under 500 on the road, and this is one of the toughest places in the entire NFL to play. So I've been listening to a lot of, you know, podcast-related things, a lot of betting line-related things leading up to this. Doug Peterson in the playoffs is 6-0 and against the spread. So they're plus 9.5, the Jaguars are. He's beaten the spread in every playoff game he's coached. He hasn't won every game, like yeah. final score, He just needs to be close. He's beaten the spread in every game. Patrick Mahomes has never lost in the divisional round. In the divisional round. They've lost in the championship round, but never the divisional round. And the Chiefs, I'm sure, given that the last playoff game they played was that Bengals blow-up, they're looking for revenge. Coincidentally, against a team that was down at 1.27-0 and 1.31-30. I've got a very keen eye on this game. I don't think this is going to go as chalk as people think it will. Yeah, there's a reason that this one has the highest over-under of all four games this weekend, too. So I think this is going to be a great stepping stone game for the Jaguars in their future, but I don't think they win. Also, the AFC might have the best four quarterbacks in any conference right now this weekend. We'll get into that in a second. The The New York Giants, excuse me, later today in Philadelphia taking on the Eagles... Listen, you know my opinion on Daniel Jones. I don't trust Daniel Jones at all. Are you sure? I don't. I don't. I never he have. Looked, I probably he never will. He pretty good in his playoff debut. By the way, 
first quarterback drafted out of 2019's class to win a playoff game. Uh, yeah, l- listen, I get it. Maybe that was just a bad class. I don't know. Well, you know who went number one overall in that, that draft? Would have been Kyler Murray. I know. I know. He wasn't the first to make the playoffs, though. Kyler did that. Nope, stop it. <laughs> uh, the Eagles, again, similar situation to the Chiefs. They're coming off of a bye, uh, being the number one seed. They're much better at home, 7-2, and two, than the Giants are on the road, 4-4. Four and four. Sure. Uh, so, again, it would be easy for me to just pick the Eagles. I think I'm going to pick the Eagles. The Giants, you got to give them a lot of credit. The NFC East has three of the final four teams in the NFC. I think Brian Dayball is just a hell of a good coach. I would agree with you on Look, that. There's... There's a lot of really good coaching in this. Nick Sirianni, for one, who, don't forget, he had that turnaround last season. The Eagles were under 500, and they snuck into the playoffs as a uh, seven seed, I believe. This year, they're the best team in the league, by far. And if you want to draw comparisons between the Giants and the Jaguars, these are two organizations that have made a lot of changes in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about multiple head coaches, multiple coordinators, in some ways changing quarterbacks in the last couple of years. And they're starting to figure it out. You mentioned Dayball. I'll mention Doug Peterson. I think that these organizations are finally starting to click. But this is the stepping stone game. This is the one that you lose in order to win next year. I think it'll be just as close. I don't think, I mean, look, I don't think any of these are going to be blowouts. I think we're past the point of blowouts in football games. I think we're at the point now that there's going to be a lot of one-score games down the stretch. Depends on what Jalen Hurts you get, too. That's true. He's dealing with a shoulder injury. Believe his throwing shoulder, too? Like, that can't that can't make you feel good. Lane Johnson, who's their best offensive lineman, he just, like, has a torn groin. What was it? I can't remember. You can't expect a lot. I think it's going to go way beyond parity, that's for sure. Tomorrow, the game that almost happened then didn't happen, but is now going to happen. The Cincinnati Bengals in Buffalo taking on the Bills. Yeah, because of the DeMar Hamlin situation, they canceled the last game where it was. It created some interesting uh, new angles to the playoffs and certainly a storyline leading into this game. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes on the quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, who I told you last week, I have the utmost confidence in Joe Burrow. But the Bengals won their last game with basically with everything else, with defense, with special teams. Not to say Burrow was bad, but this is a game where everyone's going to be watching the quarterbacks. I'm actually watching everything else because I think the Bills were the most complete team in the AFC the entire year. And the Bengals, you got to say it, they went to the Super Bowl last year and they want to go again. And I think they're ripe for the taking. I'm taking the Bengals. Josh Allen hasn't looked great. In his last few weeks, a lot of turnovers, a lot of careless turnovers. He had, what was it, three or four last week against the Dolphins? Had us in the first half. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. News surrounding this last game. The Dallas Cowboys going to San Francisco, taking on the 49ers. I want to start with the news, Steve. Yeah. This is from Adam Schefter. Well, he's just quoting something that Kyle Shanahan said at his latest press conference. Kyle Shanahan said that Jimmy Garoppolo has a, quote, outside chance, quote, to be ready for the NFC Championship game if San Francisco were able to advance, but that, quote, there'd be a better chance, close quote, for him to be ready for the Super Bowl if the Niners get there. So this game will be Brock Purdy's. 100%. 100%. The next game, should they advance, would be either Garoppolo or Purdy. And quite frankly... I don't think it even should be considered. It I, should be Purdy. It should be Purdy. 
I'm trying not to be as Arizona biased as I typically I don't am care. here. Have you looked at the dude play? Well, so you, you know me, right? They haven't lost yet. All season long, and really the last two years with Trey Lance in the building, I've been a huge advocate of Jimmy Garoppolo because they don't lose when Jimmy Garoppolo's their quarterback. They win all the time. He Except, doesn't have to be amazing on the field. They just win. Except in the Super Bowl in 2020 and in the NFC Championship game in 2022. But this Purdy When they kid, needed him most. This Purdy kid comes in and they're 5-0 and in his first five games as a rookie. As the last kid picked in the draft, they're 5-0. and He looks more poised on the field than any other quarterback he's faced. And he's faced some good ones, including Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, in his first game ever. He goes out and wins a playoff game in his first playoff game ever. How are you going to bench that kid? How? As good as Garoppolo is, and as much as I've advocated for him, sorry, uh, your time as a 49er is over. We'll see ya. How can you just look that you can just kid, leave in free agency? How can you just look him in the face and be like, nah, we're gonna we're gonna sit you down. You gotta roll with the hot hand. You have to. Look, Carson Wentz wasn't gonna come back in time to help his Eagles win that first Super Bowl they won. But were you really gonna bench Nick Foles? No. Yeah, that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy. I man, I I can understand if they play Jimmy because I mean they've put up they've done so much together, and they put so much faith in Jimmy G. And if he's truly healthy and ready to go, it's hard to bench that guy. I get how difficult the decision is, but this Brock Purdy kid, he could be special. I think he's got a little more upside than Garoppolo does. Okay, so really quickly, if we're gonna predict this out, yeah, Jaguars Chiefs, Chiefs, okay. Giants, Eagles, Eagles, Bills, Bengals, Bengals, Cowboys, Niners, Niners. Give me Niners. Give me Bengals. Give me Eagles by a hair, and Jaguars will keep it close, but not enough. I'll take Chiefs. All right, so we have the same four advancing. We have the same four. Well, that's boring. But here's the problem: if there's two games that I feel like could go either way, it's these two today. I honestly give a little more credit to what the Jaguars and Giants have been able to do. Now, see, I'm I'm actually more interested in Sunday because I do think the Bills-Bengals game just carries that extra significance with the DeMar Hamlin situation and the canceled game that impacted seeding. And then we haven't even talked about the Cowboys at all. They're playing as well as any team in the league right now, and they could easily topple the 49ers. That Bucks team is bad. That Bucks team they beat last week is bad. Well, they didn't get to pick their opponent. Well, if you can only play the team that they put on the field with you. If they did, they got first pick. That's for sure. That is around the NFL. When we come back, hour number two of Arizona Sports Saturday, the Arizona Cardinals coaching search rolls on. And speaking of Dallas, looks like they're going to Big D to maybe find the next HC next on Arizona Sports Saturday.